This is a podcast of the sermon preached in Belmont Presbyterian Church on Sunday the 22nd of January 2017 and this is Nigel Craig here. It's entitled The Big Story Part 3. In the aftermath of the First World War, Irish poet W.B. Yeats penned his poem The Second Coming. It contains the famous lines, Things fall apart, the centre cannot hold, Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world, the blood-dimmed tide is loosed, and everywhere the ceremony of innocence is drowned. That well described many parts of the world following the Great War, and it is a fitting description of some countries today. In a lesser way, it's maybe how some people feel about their own lives or the community around them. Things fall apart, the centre cannot hold, mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. These words could also describe the events of Genesis chapters 3 to 11. One writer, Levy, comments, Genesis 3 to 11 makes for really sad reading as the fall of Eden spills out into every part of life. These chapters describe the increasing corruption of humanity, followed by the Noahic flood and the erection of the Tower of Babel, before moving on to one of the greatest protagonists of the biblical narrative, the patriarch Abraham. As you know, we've started to look at the big story, the meta-narrative of the Bible, from Genesis through to Revelation. Thus far, we've covered Genesis 1 to 3, parts 1 and 2 of the big story, namely creation and fall. Today, we consider Abraham under three headings, the third part of our story, the big step, the big surprise, and the big sacrifice. The big step. They say that moving house is one of the most stressful events in life. Tell me about it. Some of you have moved on a couple of occasions. Some of you may be considering moving to university, others downsizing and preparing for the latter years of your lives. But how must it feel for refugees fleeing from war-torn Syria, leaving their homes and precious belongings, trekking westwards into an unknown continent? When Abraham, or Abram as he was known first of all, is introduced into the storyline of Genesis, he's also on the move, heading westward. First of all, he's living in Ur with his wife and extended family, which is modern-day southeast, southern Iraq, Genesis 11 and 28. Then they move to the ancient city of Haran, modern-day southeastern Turkey, Genesis 11:31. Here they put down their roots until God tells them to move again. We turn to Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So God told Abram to up sticks and head for the southern land of Canaan, a place he had never been to before, a place he had never seen in any travel brochure or in Google images. According to the New Testament book of Hebrews 11 and 8, Abraham obeyed and, I quote, went even though he did not know where he was going. Sounds like many of us with the sat-nav. He knew he was headed for a particular region, the land of Canaan, but had no details as yet. Isn't this reckless? He's a man of 75 and he should know better. He should be settling down, but instead he uproots his extended family and sets out for the unknown. He makes a big step. Why, oh why? Right at the outset we see that Abraham is marked as a person who believed God even when it seemed foolish. 
He believed God even when it seemed foolish. He believed God's promise that he would inherit the land, make of him a great nation, bless him and make him a blessing to the whole world. And Abraham believed God enough to make the big step out into the unknown. The Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard once wrote, Faith begins precisely where thinking leaves off. This reckless trust and obedience was to be the mark of Abraham's life. Later we read that Abraham believed the Lord and he, and he counted it to him as righteousness, Genesis 15 and 6. In other words, Abraham was accepted by the Lord. He was considered to be in a right standing before the Lord because he believed the Lord's promises. Unlike Adam, who had doubted God's word, Abraham believed God's word. Adam was disconnected from God by his lack of faith and disobedience, whereas Abraham was reconnected to God by his faith and the ensuing obedience. Earlier we read from Romans chapter 4 in our service, where the Apostle Paul homes in on this. How can anyone, Jew or non-Jew, religious or non-religious, sinful and under condemnation, ever have a chance of getting right with God again? How can you or how can I get into a right relationship with God again? Paul, citing from Genesis, says that we are made right with God again. We are reconnected to the God from whom we have been estranged by our faith in his promises set forth in Jesus Christ. So it doesn't happen as a result of our works, that is, by moral improvement, or even our religious devotion, important as these are, but by our faith. Romans chapter 4 and verse 5. To the one who does not work, but trusts him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. The big surprise. You may have seen the Channel 4 series, The Secret Millionaire. The idea is simple. Millionaire benefactors say goodbye to their luxury lifestyles, go under cover in deprived areas and see who needs help. The big surprise comes when the millionaire reveals his or her true identity and offers a life changing sum of money. Now, according to Genesis chapter 12, Abraham gets a big surprise, not from a secret millionaire, but from God. God doesn't offer Abraham a wad of cash, for he's pretty wealthy already. Instead, God makes a promise that he's going to do three things for Abraham. Number one, he's going to make him into a great nation. Number two, he's going to give that nation the land of Canaan. And number three, he's going to bring blessing to the whole world through Abraham's family, Abraham's seed. Now, we can understand why these things must have been a big surprise to Abraham. Firstly, how was Abraham going to father a great nation when he hadn't even fathered a son? In Genesis 15, Abraham quizzed God about this, but God told him he was going to leave, have a son of his own in his old age, and then instructed Abraham to look at the sky and try counting the stars. That's how numerous your descendants will be, God assured him. Abraham believed what God had said. He took him at his word, and he was declared righteous, or he was put into a right standing with God. Genesis 15 and verse 6. Secondly, how was Abraham's family and tribe going to take the land of Canaan when he was an old man and just moved into the neighborhood? Again, in Genesis 15, we see God answering Abraham's queries. God then sealed a special contract or covenant with Abraham, giving him a solemn word that the day would come when his descendants would own the land under his feet. 
Genesis 17, God reaffirmed his unique promises to Abraham and his descendants. And thirdly, how was this insignificant individual going to bring blessing to the whole world? Well, we'll see that shortly. God's promises to Abraham must have come as a huge surprise to him. They may have seemed too good to be true. In fact, Abraham only got to hold his promised son 25 years later. And the next two promises concerning the land and blessing the whole world were never realized in his lifetime. And yet, I quote, he believed the Lord. He took God at his word and God in turn declared that Abraham was in right standing before him. I think for some people, the promises in Scripture seem too good to be true. For others, the gospel is in the realm of la-la land. Do you think it was any easier for Abraham to take God at his word? Do you think it was any easier for people who met Jesus on the dusty streets of Jerusalem to accept his claims? The same challenge comes to each one of us. Are we prepared to take God at his word? Are we prepared to believe what he says? Are we prepared to stake our trust in Jesus Christ and his gospel? Now, if we are, we find that God accepts us, forgives us, adopts us, and announces that we are in a right relationship with him, that we are children of Abraham, heirs according to the promise. Galatians 3 and 29. The third point I now want to make is the big sacrifice. Genesis 22 tells us of the big sacrifice. Winding back a little bit, eventually old Sarah gave birth to Isaac, Genesis 21. But then one day God asked Abraham to make the biggest sacrifice of his life. He asked him to literally offer up his own son Isaac on an altar. Now Abraham, in characteristic faith and obedience, headed for the mountain where the sacrifice was to be made. And as Abraham and his naive and innocent son climbed that mountain, Isaac noticed that they had everything for making a sacrifice except for the animal. And so the wee fella turned to his daddy and said, Where's the lamb? Do you know what Abraham said in response? God himself will provide a lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Genesis 22 and 8. What a window into that old man's soul. So they get to the top of the mountain. The father builds an altar, arranges the wooden top, ties his son. Isaac reaches for the knife. And just before he's about to take his son's life, God calls out his name. Abraham, Abraham, do not lay your hand on the boy. For there in the bushes, caught by the horns, was a ram, which Abraham proceeded to sacrifice in Isaac's place. Let's ponder what has happened. God commands a sacrifice to be made. God then provides a stand-in, a substitute. Abraham takes God at his word and joyfully benefits from this substitute. To use the words of Abraham to his son Isaac as they ascended the hill, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. This will become God's modus operandi in the Old Testament and will climax in the New. In the New Testament, we read of another hill. This time just outside the walls of Jerusalem, 
Another only son climbs to the top of that hill, bearing wood. But there will be no substitute lamb for him. He himself will be the substitute lamb, our substitute. In indescribable love, the Heavenly Father does not withhold his only son to die in our place. Instead of you or me having to face the music for our rebellion against heaven, he chooses to step in. Instead of you or me taking the full force of God's justice, he permits Jesus to step into our shoes. That's how much God loves you. And if you believe God on this one, if you trust what Jesus has done for you on the cross, you will experience the blessing God promised the world through the seed of faithful Abraham. You will be one of the stars in that sky, one of the grains on the seashore. You will be counted as righteous in God's sight. Amazing grace.